inspiration. You were there to help me out. You just saw the need and said, can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. Hello, everybody. Julie Goodnight here, and welcome to my podcast about horse training and equestrian sports. Be sure to hit subscribe wherever you're listening now so you don't miss a single episode. I'm super excited that this podcast has already achieved more than 100,000 downloads. I appreciate all the reviews and ratings you've left, too, and we love the comments and suggestions, so please keep them coming. As you listen today, I think you're going to hear some answers to a few questions you may have submitted. Since the last time we recorded, New Year's Day has come and gone. It's January 2021, and we're off to a fresh new start. We turn the corner from darkness to light in the calendar, and hopefully in our country, too. I'm enthusiastic about the vaccine. I've already got many friends who've received it, and I'm ready to get in line when it's my turn. To me, the vaccine not only represents what science and American ingenuity can accomplish, I mean, it's truly amazing if you think about it, but also I see light at the end of the tunnel, and I'm hopeful that very soon we'll all be back to the life we once knew. We'll be able to gather at riding clinics and horse expos, all for the love of the horse. And speaking of which, I have four programs this year at the Sea Lazy U Ranch in Granby, Colorado. I'll be doing a riding and wholeness retreat for women alongside Barbara Schulte, my friend and colleague. I'll also be doing the Ranch Riding Adventure in September, a popular program that we enjoy doing every year. And then we'll have a brand new program about women's leadership. I'll also be teaching that alongside Barbara Schulte. And then I'll finish out the year in October up at the Sea Lazy U Ranch with a Horsemanship Immersion Program. Now, this is a brand new program that I'm super excited about. People have asked me for years if they could come and study intensively with me for a week. And well, that's what this is. It's five days of intensive study of horses with a herd of 200 horses at our disposal to study and play with and learn from. So I'm excited about that program. Again, that'll be in October up in Granby, Colorado. If you want more information on any of these programs, you can certainly visit my website at Julie goodnight.com for more information. I've got a few private clinics in the works for 2021. Some of these clinics will remain private, but some will open up to the public. So if you're interested in hosting a clinic with me, please let us know. I'll come to your facility and conduct a clinic for one or more people. And for more information on organizing a private clinic, you can go to juliegoodnight.com slash private clinic and get all the information you need. And while you're there, please check out my online training programs and streaming services at signin.juliegoodnight.com. Plus, we've got innovative grooming tools, tack, equipment, and educational resources at shop.juliegoodnight.com. Today's podcast is about New Year's resolutions for horse lovers. Recently, I did an interview for the Horses in the Morning radio show with Christy Landweir, the CEO of Certified Horsemanship Association and the sponsor of Training Tuesdays on the radio show. We talked about New Year's resolutions, specifically about my personal philosophy on New Year's resolutions, 
We also talked about resolutions and goals for horseback riders, riding instructors, horse trainers, and barn managers. Plus, I've got some brand new questions to answer straight from our listeners in the What the Hey Q&A segment at the end of this podcast. And now, let's take a listen to this interview from January 19th, 2021. We are so excited to have Julie Goodnight on next. She is horse trainer, clinician, social influencer, and TV producer. Um, Of course, you can find a lot more information about her at juliegoodnight.com. And she also, I always have to introduce her as a dear friend of mine, the one that certified me um, and the one that basically got me the job. I didn't meet Julie through American Youth Horse Council. We sat on that board a long time ago when I worked for the Arabian Horse Association I never would have even known about CHA. So love her from that perspective um, and just so glad that she's a part of CHA as our spokesperson. So hi, Julie. How are you? I'm doing great. And thank you for that warm welcome. And yeah, we, we go way back, don't we? Oh, boy. And every year it's way back a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, let's not think about that. We're looking forward, <laughs> not back. That's right. That is correct. So how is everything in Salida today? Well, it's very white and cold and snowy outside, but we're we're still, you know, hovering on this drought situation, so nobody can complain about snow. Nobody complains about snow around here because it's uh, it's important to our lifeblood, you know. It's from skiing to whitewater rafting to irrigating hay fields. We depend on the snowfall, uh, not to mention um the wildfires. Uh, containment. So it's snowy and cold, but it's a good day to be inside by the fire and um, yeah, and and do some inside work. Well, for those that don't know, Salida, Colorado is at the base of Monarch, um, which is a lovely mountain to go ski. And it's just a really great area. It's pretty far from me, though. It's the other side of the hill from us. What what are you from Denver? About a four, three hour? What are you from us? It's, It's about Two and a half, three hours. Today yeah. it might be three and a half, four hours if you right. got there. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we're way up in the mountains and we're at a higher altitude. So winters are long and cold and dark. I'm very grateful to have a toasty, passive solar heated indoor arena, which keeps us um, riding all winter long, which is fabulous. So yeah, it's it's beautiful and um you know, it is January, so we can't expect it to be summer outside. So we just take every day as it comes. Yesterday actually we were riding outdoors. Uh the the field had completely melted off, so we were, you know, trotting around the gra- uh field, grass, dead grass, but <laughs> and today everything's white. Well, and Julie, you always have a new project. Can you tell us about the Clydesdales and how they all came into your life? For those of you that follow Julie, that those images have been great. So can you tell us more about that? Sure. Well, as as many people know, you know, 20, 2020 was a devastating year in so many ways, and not the least of which here in Colorado was that we were just ravaged with wildfires in the fall, and um, including... Uh, two of the fires are now the largest two fires in our state's history, and they just consumed a massive amounts of um, forested land in northern Colorado. 
and they highly threaten the the ranch that is near and dear to my heart where I do a lot of clinics called the Sea Lazy U Ranch up in Granby, Colorado. That I do clinics there four times a year and they have a herd of about 200 head of horses, more or less, uh, all riding horses that they uh, keep for year-round use in their um, guest ranch operations. The herd of 200, first of all, my clinic was canceled. I was supposed to be up there the very weekend the fires moved through. Um, thankfully, the the ranch did not burn down. The, the fires went completely around the ranch, but they were able to save the ranch with some, some very strategic firefighting and flooding of fields and the like. And uh, but the head of two hundred, the herd of two hundred horses had to be evacuated not once but twice. Whoa! And yeah, they evacuated to the center of the valley, far from the forest edges, and thinking surely that was safe. And then um, things changed and winds blew and the horses had to be evacuated um, clear to the front range of Colorado, the Denver area. And um, so it's no easy feat to move 200 head of horses. These horses never travel. So the ranch had no trailers for 200 horses so it was an incredible community effort, and uh, both moving, moving, evacuating the horses twice, and then moving them back to the ranch. But in the process, because I'm up there so much, I happen to know the ranch acquires new horses, of course, every year to keep their string um, populated. And this year, they had bought some draft horses from Tennessee from a a uh, horse dealer that they get most of their horses from. And they bought, I don't know, seven or eight horses to come into their riding program. These were mature broke horses um, that would be ultimately worked into the dude string. And one of them was this beautiful Clydesdale mare named Joy. And unbeknownst to anyone along the way, she was pregnant. And they got her in March last year, and she foaled October 1st. So it was, um, shall we say, an unplanned pregnancy. The ranch had no way of dealing with a baby. This baby was born three weeks before the fire started. So he was evacuated twice um, with the herd. They were The mare and the baby were secluded in corrals, of course, the, not just lumped in with the 200 horses, but... After the uh, second evacuation, I realized that was an untenable management situation for the ranch. So I volunteered to come get the mare and the baby and let them winter here at my place. And so I'm looking out the window at him right now. He was four weeks old when he came here. He's not quite four months old now. He We just graduated him to a regular horse-sized halter yesterday. He Never wore a weanling halter. He wore wore a yearling halter when he was first born, and and now he's into a regular horse size. So I imagine we'll be moving up to that draft size uh, by the time he's a yearling. But he's uh, he is just been so much fun. He you know he's in the pen right outside my window, and we have just had so much fun watching this baby grow up. And and uh, I I'm not 
have not worked closely with draft horses in my career. I've been around them, but I've certainly never um, you know, had them at my place or, or been around foals. So it's been a really fun project for me. And uh, I mostly work with mature riding horses, not little babies. And uh, I miss that. And, and so it's fun to have a baby around, but like truly spoken, like a grandparent, I'm going to be glad to see them leave <laughs> when they go back to their home at the Sea Lady U Ranch. That is an awesome story. Well, I just wanted to hear the whole background on that. Um, so thank you so much for sharing. I think it's great. You always have good projects going on. So yeah. our topic today is New Year's resolutions, because here we are in January. So what is your philosophy on New Year's resolutions, Julie? Well, I'm not sure everyone knows this about me, Christy, but I actually have a pretty big philosophy on New Year's resolutions. I love them. I look forward to them. I make numerous ones. I keep most of them. You know, the good thing about making a lot of them is drop a few. You're still okay. Um, my philosophy is, is kind of in depth. I, I've a, you know, to me, New Year's resolutions are simply goal setting, let's be honest, or at least that's what it is for me. And January 1st to me brings, um, a sort of freshening, a new start. It's a, it's a block of time, 12 months that we can put our fingers on and, and, and put, wrap our mind around and it's a good time to look forward and and kind of think about um who I want to be. And so I'm I um I think there are ways to make New Year's resolutions very successful. Um one of them is to make sure it's something I want. I want to do or I want to be or um something that makes me happy or good or better. So my philosophy is, you know, it's kind of like putting something on your to-do list, you know, you're going to do anyway, and then scratching it off. It's like, so I always make sure my resolutions are really something I want to do, truly want to. And, and that is an achievable goal, you know, um, something that is within my grasp. I don't have to drastically change everything about my life in order to accomplish it. Um, but something I could realistically do. Um, and so then, and then finally, I want to make sure that the, the goals or the resolutions that I set are fun and easy. So I, I'm not trying to sort of reinvent myself or make myself into somebody I'm not. I just want to, it's kind of how I've approached my business and approached really my life and even my recreation and my personal passions is I just want to be a little bit better. What's the next thing? You know, so I approach my my goal, my New Year's resolutions that way. And I always make numerous resolutions um, in, in different areas of my life. And so I always make a personal betterment resolution. And uh, to be honest, uh, well, let me back up and say, I, I mull over my resolutions for a long time. I, I have right now, I have a couple of resolutions that I've already set in my mind, but I have other ones I'm really mulling over because I want to choose the right one. And also, you know, all of the things I just mentioned, I want to make sure it's something I can commit to, to accomplishing. And I want to set a resolution that I don't accomplish. So, um, personal betterments one, I'm not sure where I'm going to go on that this year. 
Um, better health is something, you know, I'm, I'm not as young as I used to be. And I, you know, I've been blessed with excellent health my entire life. This is the sound of me knocking on wood. And, um, however, uh, last year, I'll give you an example of, of what I would do last year. I was way overdue for going to the doctor. I don't have any illness. I don't take any medications and, and therefore it's really easy not to go to the doctor. And it turned out I hadn't been for like seven years and that, you know, <laughs> they shred your files if you're not there for that long. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if they really shred them, but they're in the deep, dark recesses of their office. And, you know, so I was passed due for a mammogram and my sister had just been diagnosed with breast cancer. And um, so I made my health resolutions to be to um, go to my doctor to make sure he didn't fire me as a patient to get a mammogram and to get the colonoscopy that I was passed due on getting. And you know what? I did it all. It took me the entire year. I'll be honest. <laughs> um, of course, COVID was a, a part of that. <laughs> and by the way, I picked a good year because telemedicine is the bomb. I, you know, I, I would go to the doctor much more often <laughs> via telemedicine. Um, so anyway, I, I, I do, I do, I usually do a New Year's resolution regarding um, the environment. I try to be a better steward of the environment every year. Last year, my goal was to reduce the amount of uh, print, printing we did in the office. Um, and we did uh, by a lot. And that's great. It's, that's almost really more a frame of mind than an actual, you know, activity. But if you, so the environmental New Year's resolutions are great because it makes you make a shift, you know, whether it's something like do better at recycling or um, do some trash pickups. I did that for, for a resolution years ago, and we still do it almost every day when we hike uh, is trash pickups. So that kind of stuff, I usually make a professional one. Um, this year, I've already decided what my professional New Year's resolution is going to be. And that is to not be so reliant on email and text and to just pick up the phone and call somebody when you need to talk to them. And um, so that's my resolution to, to, to use the phone more and uh, texting less. And, um, you know, I even sometimes make a recreational. Uh, actually, let's be honest, I always make a recreational one because why not? I mean, you know, that's a great New Year's resolution. What do I want to do this year that I haven't done before that's really super fun? And um not sure what I'm going to do this year. Last year, uh, I thought I was going to do rollerblading, but I ended up doing paddleboarding. So I, I, it's my resolution. I reserve the right to change it as I see fit. <laughs> so I accomplished paddleboarding. So this year, maybe I'll go back to rollerblading. We'll see. Um so yeah, I do a household one. I uh, cleaned out the pantries last year. One year I did uh, consume everything in the freezer um, for a New Year's resolution. So um, so yeah. So as you can see, my philosophy is quite in depth. And I, so you picked the right person for this show. That is so funny. Is we did not plan that. 
this was just, uh, this happened. So there you go. That We was, didn't that was plan it. it at all. And I knew that would uh, kind of come as a surprise to you when you asked me. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. And, you know, I, I also, you know, think it's important to uh, help people for us riding instructors and, and horse trainers, barn managers. I, I think it's important not only to Set your own goals and, and, uh, just one or two, you know, you know, you don't have to, like I said, remodel entire, your entire existence, but one or two goals. And I think it's really important to help, to help your students set goals. And so New Year's is a great time, particularly for those of us that are in the winter climates, the cold climates where less riding activities are going on in the winter. Um, why not work on some goal setting and planning? And, and, um, you know, the students I work with are all, well, now that I haven't been doing so much traveling to clinics lately, I'm, the students I work with are mostly online students because I have an online training program and, um, I do personalized coaching with my students online. So the goals I see them setting there have a lot to do with um, well, obviously, confidence is always a huge one. Maybe the number one. I want, I'm working to improve my confidence this year. Um, sometimes that has a specific manifestation, like I want to be comfortable cantering or I want to be comfortable, um, you know, riding my horse out by, by away from the barn by himself. Or, um, but for a lot of my online students, I've noticed that their number one goal is just to ride more. And I always encourage that goal, of course, but I encourage them to make it a reasonable goal. If you're, you know, riding two days a week now and you think that's not enough, just make your goal be three days a week, not seven. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I think that's important for us as riding instructors to help our students create their goals as well. I agree. And I think that um, New Year's resolutions is great for us to be able to have for our horses and our barn and our staff and what have you and ourselves, but then also being able to impart that if we are instructors to our clients um, is also a super idea. So what are some of the kinds of resolutions that you think our listeners might think about in regards to their barn management and their overall horse management that might come into play? Well, first of all, let me say that I think us riding instructors and horse trainers are probably far better at helping our students set those goals and resolutions than we are doing them ourselves. I and would agree. so I do think that just like we, you know, teach our students to never blame the horse and to always know that there's probably something you could have done better as a rider or as a handler of that horse. Um it's the same thing for us personally, um, not only in personal development, more of the things I was just talking about for myself, but in professional development as well. You know, it's the day you reach status quo, uh, just sit back on your laurels and stop trying to improve is, is the day you start going out of business and become obsolete. So there's always a lot there. Um, but again, I think I think, you know, just taking it in small chunks. I've I've been in business for myself now for over 30 years. And I've come a long way from being a one-woman training boarding trail ride operation 
to what I do today. Uh, but it's been by taking very small steps every year. I, I've never planned my business for grandiose accomplishments. I've always just tried to grow a little bit in certain areas that I wanted to grow in every year. Um, so I was thinking through, okay, you know, what about barn management? That's 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 something we all do. That everyone involved with actually having live horses, in some ways, involved in barn management, and all the way up to the highest levels in our industry, people running these elite operations. Um, so I I just had to think about myself and and my operation. I've already set a, a New Year's resolution there, and we're well into it. And that was to clean out our blanket storage area, which, you know, by the way, what comes with heavy winter and high altitude is a lot of horse blankets. <laughs> and, you know, our horses have each have three or four blankets to get them through the year, different weight, shapes and sizes. And um, so and over the years, that's 30 years of being a business, you accumulate a lot of ratty blankets. So we're cleaning them out, discarding the, the hopeless ones, washing them isolating the ones for repair and what repairs they need and then organizing and storing the rest of them. So I think, uh, you know, there's so much to think about in barn management, but just, just finding one corner or area of your operation is a really good place to start. You don't have to um, eat the whole elephant, as we say, just, just start with one little corner. So, so that's my corner. Um, and I was thinking about horse trainers and, you know, for a lot of us, my definitely for myself, we wear all of these hats. I am the barn manager, the instructor and the trainer and the owner and you know, the rider. And so, um, but for, for many of us, it's, it's the, the one and the main thing we do, like, you know, you can be a horse trainer and that's really all you do. You train clients as you need to but you primarily train horses. And I was thinking about my all my horse trainer friends, what we all have in common, and you might recognize this in one of the uh, personal resolutions I spoke of earlier, but I, I think a good New Year's resolutions for most horse trainers would be to think about staying in better communication with their clients. Um, communication, you know, us horse trainers are really good at communicating with horses, but not always very good at communicating professionally. And um, I'm not sure all horse owners know how much everybody else makes fun of them for that. You know, we laugh about, oh, yeah, but he's a horse trainer. He'll never call you back. Um, so I think communication and, and Christy, I know you'll remember when I was heavily involved with new program development with CHA and we were working on the site accreditation program. We surveyed, I personally sent out a survey to over 200 large horse operations in the U.S. and Canada, and we had an incredible return rate on the survey. And it, and one of the questions was, what do you think is the number one most important skill in a barn manager? Barn manager? And something like 80% of the surveys came back with one word, communication. There you go. Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah. 
So we made that, in fact, a very central part of our site accreditation program. So anyway, that's a lofty goal, and it can start small by just saying, I'm going to you know, make sure I return messages or check my messages when I come in for lunch or something, you know. So, um, first riding instructors, I wanted to put in a little plug for an article that I wrote um, for the CHA magazine that'll be coming out uh, this spring. And it's a lengthy article that Jen, Jennifer Paulson, our new editor, helped, um, thankfully helped me uh, edit it up and get it really put together nicely, I think. Um, but I think it contains a really great New Year's resolution for writing instructors because it is an article about helping frustrated students learn better and how we um, resolve frustration in the writer and um, but in particular, there's a whole section of the article about meta-learning. And meta-learning, uh, for those of you, if you can't wait for the article, just Google meta-learning, M-E-T-A, learning. And it, it just, meta-learning means learning about learning. And I think that for us writing instructors, we spend a lot of time perfecting our skills on the horse and riding and, and developing riders. And we could probably pay a little bit more attention to the actual science of learning because teaching writing is no different than teaching school or teaching history or teaching, um, you know, mechanics or whatever. So, um, so, so put that on your New Year's resolution list to, to get the CHA magazine and read that article and to, to learn more about learning, how your students learn. So. Um, those are the, those were the main, uh, thoughts that came to mind. Of course, I can't set New Year's resolutions for you. Only you can do that. Um, but I think we can, um, if you're not in the habit of, of goal setting and New Year's resolutions, you know, start small. Just pick something you know you're going to do anyway. And, um, it's fun. Achievement is fun. And if it's a goal that makes you a little bit better, um, whether that's weight loss or get in better shape or any of those things, um, do it. Just start small. And, and if you do it right and it's fun and you achieve, then next year you're going to do a little bit more. And then for, you know, by the time you get to be my age, you're doing like 10, 12 resolutions a year. So, so that's my take on it. Julie, I'm so happy we had you on the show today for this topic. Those are all such good ideas. And for those that don't know exactly where to find you, where where's the best place? What's your website again? And how about some social media platforms? Sure. Well, you can find uh, my website is juliegoodnight.com and, and pretty much everything uh, you'd want to know is there. Uh, we are very active on our Facebook page, which is Julie Goodnight Horsemanship. And it's, um, it's fun. You'll, you'll meet the Clydesdale family there. And we, we do a lot of posting on a daily basis about, uh, life here on the farm and, and what I'm up to. And, um, of course, Insta, Twitter, all the others at Julie Goodnight. Um, you can find us there as well. And, uh, yeah, we encourage everybody to, if you're, if you're stuck and static, status quo and you're riding and, or you're teaching and you want to develop yourself there, 
Uh, check out my online training programs at juliegoodnight.com. And for everyone that's listening, Wednesday, the 17th of February, Julie's going to be on at noon Eastern for our CHA member chat. And it is live for CHA members. And then we do record it. And for members and non-members, it's available on our website after the fact. So we're very excited to have her on for that as well. So thank you, Julie, for being on today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me and Happy New Year's. Happy New Year. And now it's time for our favorite segment, What the Hey Q&A. It's my favorite just because I like to say that. And it's your favorite because here's where you get to find the answers to your very own questions. If you'd like to submit a written question for What the Hey, please go to my Facebook page at Julie Goodnight Horsemanship or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. Our first question comes from Charlotte in response to last month's podcast about conquering the canter. Charlotte says, Is going from a running walk into the canter and then back and forth between these two gates the same thing as the trot-canter-trot transitions for a trotting horse? Our transitions between the running walk and the canter are bouncy. How can the rider help correct this? Okay, well, good question, Charlotte, and it's one that comes up a lot. And just to explain to everyone, so Charlotte clearly has a gated horse, a Tennessee walker or some such breed. And the canter hacks that I gave in last month's podcast related to the naturally gated horse, the horse that walk trot gallops or uh, walk trot canters if, if he's trained. And She's riding a horse that is gated, so his gates have been genetically altered so that he, uh, well, you know, basically what happens with the gated breeds is we breed the suspension out of their gates. So their gates are altered so that they don't come completely off the ground, so it's much smoother to ride. So the running walk is certainly different than the horse that's walking or trotting in terms of the mechanical footfalls of the gate and the way the horse moves. So the running walk, like the walk, is a four-beat gait, and it's more lateral in nature because the legs are moving one at a time, whereas the trot is a two-beat diagonal gait with suspension. So it's a one-two-one-two rhythm compared to a one-two-three-four, one-two-three-four, one-two-three-four. Also, the horse in the running walk is not having suspension in his stride. So at any given time, he's got two or maybe three feet on the ground. So he maintains that steady connection to the ground. Now, given all of those differences, I can just more or less say that it's the same thing. It's the same exercise because what you're doing is practicing the upward and downward transition repeatedly until the horse and rider become coordinated and in synchronization. So there's an old saying in horsemanship that says all of training occurs in transitions. So that means that every time we ask the horse to speed up or slow down and he complies, more training is occurring. We are becoming in better communication with him and in greater synchronization with him. So for all horses that are learning canter transitions from either the running walk or the trot, you have to repeat the transitions until the horse develops coordination 
between the gates. And until the rider refines their communication with the horse, so the horse is very clear what they're asking. And then certainly, of course, to execute a very smooth and coordinated transition, there has to be good timing there as well. So how can the rider help? Riding in rhythm with the horse, riding in synchronization with the horse, making sure that you use a preparatory signal before you ask the horse to transition either up or down. You want to make sure you sequence your aids out so that the horse has time to understand what you're asking of him before you ask him. So these things are just developed through a lot of practice. You need to know, really make sure you know what your horse is capable of. Not all horses are going to be able to execute these more difficult transitions in a smooth and coordinated fashion. Some horses are just more gangly than others, less coordinated. Um, certainly a young horse is, it's not going to be as easy for a young horse it is, as it is for an older horse. So a lot of this is just accomplished through practice, but I would certainly say probably the greatest ways that you can help your horse smooth out these transitions are to practice a lot, to make sure you use a preparatory signal before you issue the cue so your horse is ready for the cue, and also to just collect your horse up, gather him up a little bit before you ask, and also collect your horse, gather him up just a little bit before you ask for either the upward transition. And so we're going to collect him up and gather him up by first applying a little bit more leg, activate your seat so that you're driving the horse a little bit more forward. And then we're going to slowly and rhythmically apply a little bit of resistance with the reins in order to uh, more or less drive your horse into your hands, rounding him up, bringing him back, transferring a little weight back onto his hindquarters. These are the things that prepare him to make a smooth transition either up or down. And by the way, whether you ride a gated horse or a naturally gated horse, there is a lot of information on my website at signin.juliegoodnight.com about executing transitions with horses. And also in my online training program where you receive personalized coaching from me, you also receive specific training exercises, many of which have to do with executing smooth transitions. So again, you can check that out at signin.juliegoodnight.com. Our next question comes from Stephanie, and she says, I live just outside of Flagstaff, Arizona, and I'm wondering what kind of ground prep you did for your round pin. Does round pin fabric siding decrease riders and horses from getting hung up on pin pipes, or is it just for decreasing visual stimulation for the horse? First of all, let me talk about the difference between your round pin fence construction and the ground preparation. Those are two entirely different things that are going to be done uh, at different times, um, possibly even by different contractors. Your groundwork requires leveling, uh, digging out the native footing, putting a sub base under there that's packed and smooth and hard, machine packed. And then on top of that, you put your 
base footing, which generally in a round pen is going to be a little bit on the deeper side. We like the deeper footing in the round pen because the horse is, is moving uh, strenuously in a circle. So we're probably going to go with about a four inch footing. Um, too much more than that would be exhausting for the horse. About, about four inches of good uh, sand, coarse sand or a, a sand clay mix. Now for me personally, I'm, I'm pretty particular about footing in all of my arenas. And in the round pen, we have the same footing as we have in our indoor arena, which is a clay sand mixture. We have about a 24% clay blended into the coarse sand. And what that does is give you a little bit of rebound. And so if you think about what it's like to run on the beach, your foot just kind of goes out from under you. And that's what a horse traveling in deep sand is feeling. It's like running on the beach. It's exhausting. And so what we do in deep sand to make it better is you add clay, which gives the horse some rebound. So it packs underneath his foot and gives something to push off of. And so with just that little bit of 24% clay mixture, we still have a sandy footing that drains well, uh, but it does pack just enough to give the horse that lift to, to help him move a little bit more. So I like a little bit deeper footing in the round pen. I like a little bit of clay added into my sand in a machine blended mix, and that takes care of the footing. Now, the construction of the fence is an entirely different subject. First of all, let's talk about size. The minimum size we want to make a round pin is 60 feet in diameter. Much smaller than that, and the circle is just too small for the horse to maintain, uh, particularly at faster speeds. And so also smaller than that is almost impossible to ride in. So it's about 60 foot is about the minimum size you're going to go to be able to actually ride at a walk and trot. I don't canter my horses in the round pen a lot. They will canter when you're working them sometimes, but it's, it's a small tight circle and a 60 foot round pen. So if you get bigger than that, it's, it's a lot easier on the horse. Now the round pen is sort of a pressure pot for the horse. He's in a lot of confinement and when you're in there driving him forward, that can become a huge point of pressure for the horse when he tends to um, sort of run a little bit harder, turn around a little bit harder. Horses that have very little training in what I would call a raw state, uh, maybe a horse that's had very little training or handling, has a lot of fear, he's going to try to jump out of the round pen without question. He, he might... Uh, run into the fence when he turns around. He might scramble up the fence in the hopes that he can get over it. So the construction of the wall of the round pen is critically important for the safety of your horse. And my round pen is, although it's built out of corral panels, we have the bottom four feet built at an angle with a solid, heavy one-inch plywood solid wall all the way around that's angled out to help make it easier on the horse to keep his legs from getting in the pipes. A fabric siding would never, ever work for that. A fabric siding would be really bordering on dangerous 
um, in the round pin setting. I do use a shaded fabric siding in my large arenas, and we primarily use that, as you say, for decreasing visual stimulation. But we primarily use that for the cattle, not so much the horses. The shade cloth is just up on the fence of the arena so that if we're working cattle in the arena, they won't try to go through the fence. It'll it'll appear like a solid fence. But that's only given that you don't put too much pressure on them. And so remember, I'm talking about a large arena. So when you get into the round pin, your ability to put pressure on that horse is much higher. Plus, your tendency is to put lesser trained horses in there to begin with. So in my opinion, I, I think that solid wall around the base of your round pin is super important for protecting the legs of your horses. And just one more thing I'll add to that is research has shown us that horses are much more comfortable when they can see the horizon, when they can see out of the round pin. And so for that reason, I just have um, the first four feet are solid and then I have two more feet on top of that with pipe rails, and that would discourage that frightened horse from jumping out, but at the same time, allow him to see outside the round pen so he knows a little bit more about what's going on around him, and so he's just a little bit more comfortable. And just one more thing I'll mention about round pen safety. You want to make sure uh, not only are your fences safe and your footing is really good quality footing that's well-groomed and loose and, and as deep as the horse needs, but I also make sure I put on protective boots on my horse in the round pen. Even a horse with very little training that might be difficult to get boots onto, he especially needs them because he's going to be a little bit nervous in there he's going to feel a lot of pressure because of the confinement and he's going to make some hard and fast turns. And that's when it's easy for a horse to, you know, clip himself with his own foot. And I don't want him to hurt himself, number one. And number two, if he does bump himself and bruise his foot, bruise his leg, he's going to associate that pain with the round pen. And I don't want him to think of it as a bad place. So we do what we can to put protective uh, boots on the horse's legs and feet if necessary, just so that if he does scramble a little bit against the fence, he's better protected. Our final question comes from Jenny Hunt. She says, my horse has two modes, calm and relaxed, and I want to go. She doesn't listen in mode two. In the arena, I work her before getting on, but on a trail, I can't. Could you share your advice? Why, yes, I can. Jenny, that's a good question, one that comes up frequently with horses. First, let me just talk a little bit about the temperament of your horse. And recently, another question that we had from a listener was in reference to a hot-blooded horse versus a cold-blooded horse. And the listener had mentioned that I thought of a quarter horse as a cold-blooded horse, but that her quarter horse was actually rather spirited. And so let me just clarify, and we'll kind of answer two questions with one here, but a hot-blooded horse is, is defined as a horse that is highly sensitive to environmental stimuli, 
all stimuli the horse is sensitive to. So that would be sounds, touch, movement, smells, you know, the wind blowing, anything like that the horse is highly sensitive to. And that's what we refer to as hot-blooded. Cold-blooded then is a horse that's insensitive to environmental stimuli. Now, these words are used kind of differently because we refer to some breeds as being hot-blooded and some breeds as being cold-blooded. And in general, we might think of a thoroughbred or an Arabian as a hot-blooded horse, while we tend to think of draft horses and stock horses as more cold-blooded. But those are generalities in reference to breeds, not having anything to do with individuals. And so let's take Arabians, for example. I think most people would agree that Arabians tend to be on the hot-blooded side. However, there is no accounting for individuals within that breed because I've certainly known purebred Arabians that were calm, lazy, gentle horses and and that I would have referred to as cold-blooded. So So these are certainly confusing terms that whether we're talking about a breed or an individual, even within the the so-called cold-blooded breeds, such as draft horses, you can have hot-blooded individuals, highly sensitive individuals. So it sounds like your horse might be a little bit on the hot side, but let me be very, very clear here. That is not the cause of your problem. It is not hard to train Uh, hot-blooded or forward-moving horses to be obedient. And so I I think that what you're describing here is a problem in basic training. So when we first start training horses to be ridden, the main things we work on is controlling direction and speed. And when you are in an arena, you have the illusion of control. There's a fence all the way around you. There's no place for the horse to go. So you have a different feeling of that horse, that same horse when you take him out in the open and there's no confinement can respond totally different unless he's trained so thoroughly that he responds the same way to the rider all the time. So in going back to basics, you need to work on controlling direction or speed And so an obedient horse is a horse that goes in the direction dictated by the rider at the speed chosen by the rider without argument and without your constant micromanagement. And it just doesn't sound like you have that with your horse. You should not have to work a horse before riding him. That is a red flag that something's gone wrong in your training. My horse has either accepted my authority or he is not. He has either learned all of my cues or he is not. He has either learned to be obedient and compliant, even in situations where he doesn't want to, or he has not learned that. And I just don't think your horse has learned all those things. And so if you are under the impression that you have to, let's say, lunge your horse before you get on, otherwise you can't control him, you just simply have an untrained horse. If a horse is properly trained, and let's say he hasn't been ridden in quite some time, and so he's what we call fresh, that doesn't mean he becomes automatically disobedient. That just means he might have a little bit more energy until... I uh, blow all that steam off of him. So I don't expect him to be disobedient in that process. Uh, That speaks to a hole in the horse's training. 
one of the greatest struggles of training horses throughout history has been to control the flight response of the horse. They are flight animals and their number one response to danger or discomfort is to run away at speed. And so our greatest challenge in the domestication of horses and in the training of a riding horse is to gain control of that flight response, meaning that I can stop the horse even when the flight response is triggered. And so horses are different in the way they um, spook or, or the way they enter flight. You know, some horses will spin and bolt. Other horses will just gradually speed up or, or get nervous. So it sounds like that once you get out of confinement, your horse loses all sense of, of any control that you had over him. And so that just means you need to go back to more basic training and you need to expand the comfort zone of the horse. We start generally training horses in the round pen, a very, very small place of confinement. So his options are very limited and we work on stop, start and steer. And then as soon as we feel like we have a little bit of control, we take that horse to a larger pen, a bigger arena where he has more options. And we start all over again, working on basic control, stop, start and steer. And then we start going to larger arenas or different arenas, riding out in the field, riding out in the open, and again, working on, on basic control. So I think that you need to go back to basics on this horse. You need to slowly expand the comfort zone of the horse so that she learns to perform the same way in all these different areas, whether she's confined or not. And you're going to have to work intentionally and deliberately on this. And you're going to be working on this over months and years, not just hours and days. So go back to basics on this horse, maybe get some help from a trainer that understands and can help you identify the holes in your horse's training. Again, you and your horse sound like a perfect candidate for my online training program called the Interactive Academy, where we can help you work systematically to identify what holes exist in your horse's training, whether that be on the ground or in the saddle. And then we give you the information and exercises you need to fill those holes in with better training so that you have good control of your horse at all times, whether you're riding in an arena or out in the open. So good luck, Jenny. Thank you for joining me here today. And no matter where you are in your horsemanship journey, whether you're new to horses or an old hand, whether you're training a green horse or refining higher level skills, I hope you found some helpful information to make your horse life better. Next month on my podcast, I'm going to pull from the suggestion box, this one coming from a longtime listener and one of my most ardent online students. She lives in a remote area of Montana where finding trainers and clinics is challenging, but she loves to show her quarter horses. So my online curriculum is perfect for her. And after listening to my December 2020 podcast on canter hacks, Kara suggested I do a similar podcast for trot hacks. So next month, we'll tackle trot hacks, tips for an English equitation rider on the posting trot, exercises for feeling diagonals, 
changing diagonals, and how to make sure you're on the correct diagonal after a downward transition from canter to trot. That's a lot of stuff for one podcast, especially after I connect all the dots for you. But I think it will be fun. So please join me. Make sure you hit subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. I enjoy sharing my horse care and training experience with you, and I appreciate all your feedback, suggestions, and questions. I love to hear what topics interest you the most, so if you have questions for What the Hay or podcast topics you'd like me to address, please message me on Facebook at Julie Goodnight or email me at podcast at juliegoodnight.com. Thanks again for your awesome comments and for the five-star ratings. It helps me out a lot and it helps us rise in the rankings so more horse lovers like you and me can find this podcast. Don't forget to check out my online membership programs. You'll find the solutions you need when you need them. You can subscribe to my full training library, enroll in a horsemanship short course, or join at the premier level, the Interactive Academy, where you receive assignments and personalized coaching from me. Go to signin.juliegoodnight.com and start your ride. I'm Julie Goodnight. Thank you again for listening, and please enjoy the ride. Be sure to visit juliegoodnight.com academy for more in-depth training advice. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate your good review on iTunes so more horse lovers just like you can find my podcast. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to enjoy the ride. Thank you.